chapter 9 of Mark's Gospel, we read of Jesus casting out a demon from a boy. Uh, This first reading carries on from there in verses 30 to 37. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching the disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Second reading is from James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. If you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great to be with you. Sorry, I missed my cue and uh, had to jog on up. But it's great to be with you. My name is Rowan. If I haven't met you, uh, I am the assistant minister down at the Garrison Church. But it's a delight to be with you this morning to uh, look at God's word from this wonderful epistle of James. Uh, James is Jesus' brother, and he writes to the churches uh, in Jerusalem. And this morning we're looking at the theme of. Of we start with an article a few years ago written in the New York Bucket List by a writer called David Brooks. He wrote an article called The Moral Bucket List. And it already describes uh, two types of people that display, speaks about people, two types of, of virtues. Uh, he speaks about people who are those that chase after the resume from uh, this article. He writes, it occurs to me that there are two sets of virtues, skills you bring to the market virtues and the eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the skills you bring to the marketplace. Eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about, capable of deep love. And he writes that we all know that the, the eulogy values are the ones that are the most important. But he laments the fact that He's spent so little of his life pursuing those ones. 
And he points out how our culture and our educational systems and our world spends more time teaching skills and strategies for career success, for resume virtues, rather than for the eulogy virtues of those qualities that we want spoken of us at our funerals. And it led him on a bit of a journey to consider what it means to be a person of character, of someone who pursues the eulogy virtues. And he says this, if you live for external achievement, years pass, and the deepest parts of you can go unexplored and unstructured. And it's easy to slip into a self-satisfied moral mediocrity, but gradually a humiliating gap opens up between your actual self and your desired self. He sees this gnawing gap between an actual self and your desired self, between the person that you might be, the resume virtues, and the person you want to be, the eulogy virtues. And he wanted to be aligned in those. And, and James is doing something similar for us throughout his letter. He's, he's showing us who we are as we look in the mirror, God's word, as it speaks of us about who we are in Christ. And then he's speaking to them about the kinds of people that they are, are showing themselves to be. And, he, and he's showing that they don't quite match up. And in today's passage, he does a similar thing. What he wants to do is he wants to compare and contrast two types of wisdom. He shows us worldly or unspiritual, demonic wisdom, and he shows us heavenly wisdom. And he, he puts them both before us. He tells us of their source and their fruit. But in doing that, he wants us to look at ourselves, who we are in Christ, and to pursue true wisdom. He wants us to chase after true wisdom. So he begins uh, with this thought in verse 13. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? And he tells us what true wisdom looks like. He says, Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. He's saying that true life, true wisdom is grounded in life. It's living God's way in God's world. It says in the book of Proverbs or the book of Psalms, we read, that's what it means to fear the Lord, to live God's way in God's world. And true wisdom is seen in how we live. And so we're going to unpack today looking at the way that James speaks about false wisdom firstly, that's the first point in verses 14 to 16, and then true wisdom in verses 17 to 18, and looking at the wisdom of the cross. But as we start, how would you think about wisdom? What does a wise person look like? What kind of categories would you use or adopt? What metrics would you use? See, often as modern Westerners, we have a tendency to think of wisdom as someone who is clever, who is knowledgeable or erudite. But just notice what James says in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you will let them show it by their good life, deeds done in humility. So let's keep that in mind as we go to our first point, the nature and the fruit of false wisdom. Because what he does first is he, he shows us what false wisdom looks like. Look at verse 14. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. It's a bit unclear uh, wording in that. But if, if we made what was implicit in verse 14 explicit, it might say something like this. But if you claim to be wise while at the same time harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, 
about your so-called wisdom. Don't be false to the truth. See, our words reflect what's going on in our heart. We saw that last week. But so also does our behavior. It's an overflow of our hearts. And James is saying that if your heart, in your heart is bitter envy and selfish ambition, well, it will show forth in your behavior and it will show the source of your behavior, which is false wisdom. And so what, what is it that identifies false wisdom? Well, we see two descriptions there. The first is bitter envy. And envy there is the same word as jealousy. It's the desire for abilities, possessions, or a status of another. And then selfish ambition. Ambition can be a good thing, a godly thing, uh, and should not be suppressed, but here it's qualified with, with the word selfish. It's a prideful desire to promote ourselves and our own concerns before the needs of others and before God. To promote ourselves and to bring others down. James says that, that this wisdom is actually false. It's a facade. He says in verse 15, Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So the source or the nature of this wisdom is actually false wisdom. The source is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And what's the fruit? Well, he tells us in verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, the fruit you will find is disorder and every evil practice. So the fruits of false wisdom bring disorder. And you just notice how, how relational the language is there. See, the fruit of false wisdom, the fruit of our hearts that are pursuing bitter envy and selfish ambition, is, is broken relationships. Um, and he describes that as source is, is at its heart demonic. And when we, when we use the language of, of demonic, we often think of the more mysterious things. But notice how here James highlights broken relationships as being demonic and devilish. And it, it makes sense as you read the Bible story. From the start, the devil has sought to, to break things particularly relationship with God, you see, as he undermines Eve's trust in God in the garden, and then bringing disharmony between Adam and Eve. And so false wisdom will show its fruit through broken relationships as we go around seeking to promote ourselves and not considering the needs of others. False wisdom is a devilish ploy to ruin harmony. It brings disorder and relational chaos. But it's not hard to see that false wisdom is at work in our world. It's not hard to see that false wisdom even is at work in our own hearts, isn't it? Because we don't need to look out there to see fractured relationships and people pursuing themselves before others. I only need to look at myself. It's pretty clear in my own heart. And so what James is doing is he's taking off the mask of what this supposed wisdom looks like and exposing it for what it actually is. It's false wisdom and at its root is bitter envy 
and selfish ambition. And so he presents it starkly, kind of takes the mask off and wants us to look at it for what it actually is. It's folly in the end. But it's difficult because I think, uh, and David Brooks elsewhere speaks about this, we live in a culture and a time that seeks to promote self. Ours is a time where he describes it as the big me culture. In an attempt to want to be authentic, it has slipped into being increasingly, he says, narcissistic, self-absorbed and self-promoting. That's the world that we live in. And recent developments in, in social media technology have only encouraged individual expressions of, of self-importance. So, so it's hard in our world to live true wisdom, which we'll see, in a world that rewards and celebrates false wisdom focused around me and my selfish desires. But James removes the mask and says, look at the fruit of it. What does it do? Well, it fractures relationships. It brings disorder and evil. And so he puts it on display. And then what he does is he shows us the nature and the fruit of what true wisdom looks like. And it's a stark difference because it's a beautiful picture in verses 17 to 18. The way of true wisdom. Well, what's its source? Well, it's from heaven. We see that in verse 15. That is from God. And if false wisdom brings disorder, well, true wisdom brings order. And the context of where you see that working itself out is in relationships again. See, spirit-given wisdom is characterized by certain fruits. In verse 17, it kind of bookends these wonderful qualities that we see with pure and sincere. So these, these qualities are motivated from a pure heart that is not by sin, but by the goodness and holiness of the Spirit's work within us but they display themselves from that heart in visible qualities. So what does true wisdom look like? What are its fruits? Well, we see that it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit, it's impartial. And again, the fruits of those, notice how relational they are. Peace-loving. Paul tells us in Romans 12 that those reconciled to Christ a desire to live peaceably, peaceably with all. In Colossians 3, Paul tells us that Christ is to rule our hearts. The peace of Christ is to rule our hearts. That means that the ruling principle of, of those in Christ at work in them is that in their actions and aspirations, they would seek peace with one another. We promote peace in our relationships. But we're also considerate. Considerate means giving care and regard to those uh, other than ourselves. It might mean not making unreasonable demands or claims upon one another. It's submissive. That means a, a willingness to, to lay aside our rights for the sake of the good of others. It's often key to any good relationship. Other translations use open to reason. That means... It's the opposite of being argumentative or unnecessarily combative. It's remaining calm and respectful and getting to the heart of a matter. It's embodied in what James says, being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And true wisdom, it keeps going, is full of mercy and good fruit. We've seen in James, in speaking about the need to see the, the needs around us and to, and to act 
has shown itself in acts of mercy, and it's impartial. Remember in chapter 2, it it doesn't show favoritism. It looks and responds to the needs of, of others. And finally, it's sincere. That means unhypocritical. See, unlike a, an actor who is, is one thing on stage and then pops off, no, to walk in wisdom is, is to walk an aligned life. It's, be, it's to be consistent with who you are on the inside or who Christ is making us. And finally, in verse 18, he says again, he comes back to this theme of peacefulness. Those who walk in wisdom walk in peacefulness they they are making peace with those around them and what does that produce what is its fruit a harvest of righteousness so the wise person leaves behind as they they live this truly wise life a harvest of righteousness the fruit is seen in order and in good relationships but secondly it has knock-on impacts beyond our lives sam albury Uh, One commentator writes this, the language of harvest suggests that an attractive way of life that others are drawn to, uh, are drawn to God through it. A behavior so compelling that becomes a clincher for some who are coming to trust in the gospel for the first time. That is, as, as wisdom is played out amongst us as a community of mutually loving, considerate, submissive, merciful, impartial, uh, and sincere peoples, Others will see that true wisdom comes from above and come to trust in our Lord Jesus. Any claim to wisdom that is not observable is not true wisdom at all. So James, he contrasts these two wisdoms for us. He shows their nature and and their fruit. And they're very different. One is is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic, and the other is, is heavenly. One brings disorder and relational chaos. The other brings order. Humility is seen and and wisdom is seen in our deeds. But as we we think about this and as we think about applying this to our own lives, two obstacles might get in the way of us seeking to apply it. Firstly, we might think that it's not realistic in the world that we, we live in. See, our, our world is, is one that celebrates the virtues, as it were, of false wisdom or the folly. It rewards those who seem to be given to bitter envy and selfish ambition. How realistic is it to be truly wise in, in this world? Well, the good news is that true wisdom is made most clear for us in, in the cross. One author writes this, The cross is the central moment at which the wisdom of God is displayed against the wisdom of the world. Christ's true wisdom is self-giving, self-offering obedience to God for the benefit of others. And we saw this in our second reading. We see as Jesus predicts his own death and resurrection for the sake of sinful humanity, we know that, that these events to those watching would seem weak and pathetic. Jesus' death looked weak, pathetic, and foolish to the world's wisdom. But actually, it's the wisdom of God on display. Paul tells elsewhere that it's the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians. It's the very means, these events, which bring life, hope, and renewal. We know that these events were life-changing events which brought forgiveness and reconciliation with God, 
And so we know that as we think about this, whether it's realistic, we know that we've been given eyes to see true wisdom as it really is. The cross shows us the reality of what true wisdom looks like. But the other obstacle for us is, is maybe inside us. Do we think it's possible? See, my own, my own heart, uh, if it were a compass, its north is set on myself. Time and time again, I orient the world around, around me rather than God and others. What hope is there? Well, what good news is there that, that this true wisdom is actually possible? This pattern is possible. Well, again, I think the cross shows us that it is possible. Because Jesus has offered us these new eyes to see what true wisdom is in his death and resurrection, he also offers us a pattern, the pattern of the cross. And we see that again in our second reading, when the disciples are arguing amongst themselves about who is the greatest. And what's striking is, is Jesus doesn't rebuke them for aspiring to greatness. Instead, he, he encourages them to, to see greatness rightly. See, the problem comes from the fact that apart from understanding the cross, it's impossible to understand how we can be becoming truly great in the eyes of, of Jesus and the kingdom. See, Jesus says that true life is not found in promoting self, but in laying self down. True greatness is in humbling oneself. That is what true wisdom looks like. And he gives eyes for us to see this. But he also gives us his spirit to make that possible in our own lives. True wisdom is given to us by his spirit as we're becoming more like Christ so that we can see the world rightly and act in it the way that he calls us to. And that is the good news of the gospel. And the cross makes this all possible. The wisdom of the cross makes it possible. It helps us to see what God is doing in our world as he uh, reconciles a world to himself through Jesus' death and resurrection, but it also gives us a pattern for life that by his spirit he's at work in us to make us the kinds of people who are truly wise, pure people, peace-loving people, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now, you may be feeling like I do, that that, that doesn't describe you well or you struggle with that, but the wonderful news of the gospel is that that is what God is doing in us through his spirit to make us more like the Lord Jesus. It might be gradual, but that is the unmistakable trajectory. John says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The wisdom at work in us by the spirit is greater than the wisdom of this world. And it's making us more like his son, the Lord Jesus and so James here, as in all other weeks, has wanted us to look and to search our own hearts. How do we understand wisdom? What categories do we use to define it? Do we see wisdom or greatness the way that the world does? Are the things that we consume, value and aspire aligned with, with earthly or with heavenly wisdom? Or if we work backwards, what's the fruit of our relationships? Does it make it obvious that we are pursuing true wisdom rather than false wisdom? Well, this morning we're given a new set of lenses to see true wisdom. The Spirit is at work in us to make us like His Son, Jesus, to act truly wise. And remember the wonderful promise of James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, 
you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So in light of today's passage, let's ask for it. But also by His Spirit's help, let's seek to do it. Is there things that you need to put away? Are there things more like earthly wisdom at display, on display in your life? Let's, let's put them off. We've died to those ways. Let's put on true wisdom. Or perhaps there's someone you need to make peace with. True wisdom is marked by peacefulness. Or are we disappointed because we hold unrealistic expectations of each other? Let's be considerate to one another. Let's be proactive in considering others. If there's a difference, you need to put aside that for the sake of fellowship. Are there deeds of mercy we need to walk in? Now, as we rattle through those questions, of course, there's things that we all need to be working on. But the wonderful thing is, is that Christ has died for us. By His Spirit, He is now in us and at work to make us more like His Son. And God loves to dispense wisdom. So let us ask that He would do so by His Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Son, the Lord Jesus, that He was the truly wise one, both in His life and ministry, but also He displayed Your wisdom by dying on the cross for us. Uh, we thank you that that means that we are right with you, uh, but also that you are at work within us to make us more like him. And Lord James has told us about true wisdom and what that looks like. We pray that by your spirit, you'll be at work in us to make us truly wise. And the fruit of that, Father, we pray, might be on display in our community as we love one another and love you. And we pray that that might be an effective witness too, as people see your love amidst your people. We pray that it might bring glory to you and others to know your Son as Lord and Saviour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.